My name is Sean. I'm the lead pastor here at Grace Church, and my first crush was a girl named Raquel in the third grade. Does anybody else remember your first crush? Anyone? 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 Just six of us? That's it? All right. Uh, third grade, I, I wasn't interested in girls yet. I'm nine years old. Uh, but when Raquel walked in, like even though I wasn't even interested in girls yet, I still knew she was really pretty. And then Mrs. Derrick sat her right in front of me for the rest of the entire school year. And to this day, third grade is my favorite grade in elementary school. That's a true statement. Uh, I don't remember being interested in anybody in fourth grade or fifth grade or sixth grade. In seventh grade, there was a girl, I think, that had a crush on me. And she just annoyed, like, I just, I just remember being annoyed because back then, seventh grade was part of junior high. So seventh, eighth, and ninth was, was junior high. And she was a sixth grader. So I'm a seventh grader and she's a sixth grader, but she's still in elementary. So she's still a child, right? Like I was almost offended that she liked me. Uh, anyway, her, her name was Betty and then didn't really like anybody in sixth and seventh grade. And at that time, um, middle school is rough for me. I was just trying to survive middle school. I didn't really have the emotional capacity to have questions, I think I was just avoiding getting locked in my locker. That's what I was doing through the rest of middle school until eighth grade. In eighth grade, there's a girl named Sylvia who was in the ninth grade. And oh my, Sylvia was Czechoslovakian. And I don't know if all Czechoslovakian women are beautiful, but because I thought Sylvia was beautiful, to this day, I think all Czechoslovakian are beautiful. I don't know why. Like, I know why. Because of Sylvia. And I had this huge crush on her. But Sylvia was that ninth grade girl that like 10th and 11th grade boys liked. And I'm an eighth grader. So it's not like I had any shot with her or anything. I was just like, just trying to like get in like her like her orbit. I just wanted to like, like if she'd like every once in a while looked at me and said my name, I was like, ah, <laughs> Sylvia said my name. That was awesome. Right. So that was eighth grade, ninth grade, uh, ninth grade start spending time. Now I went to a, a small religious school. So uh, ninth graders started, uh, we started doing the sports with the, the upperclassmen and that kind of stuff. So uh, ninth grade, uh, Sylvia's a 10th grader. And I, I said, here's what I'm gonna do. Uh, by the end of my ninth grade year, uh, I'm gonna, I'm gonna sit at her lunch table. Uh, like with her seeing me there. Like, I'm not going to like sneak into it. Like, I'm going to be a welcome part of her lunch table by the end of ninth grade year. I'm not, I'm not even lying, man. Like, as a 10th grader, there were seniors she was rejecting. Like, that's, that was Sylvia. She was a starter on, on every sport she played as a varsity starter because she was like a, a stud athlete. She was, she was tall. Uh, she, my wife will get mad if I describe her any more than what I already have. <laughs> I just, I just remember like, holy cow, right? Like, like God is good, right? Like that's what, <laughs> so I had a huge crush on Sylvia. Everybody else had a crush on Sylvia. By the end of my ninth grade year though, my wildest dreams came true and I was sitting at her table every single day. Like that was like, at, by the end, like all the other ninth grade guys were like, wow, that's like, you're at Sylvia's table. Like, how did you do that? And I'm like, I'm the man. Now she ain't really talking to me yet. I'm just at her table. Like every once in a while, I was like, hey, would you pass a napkin? And, I'm like, and then our fingers would touch when I would hand her the napkin. <laughs> and I'd, I'd, I'd pass out a little bit. Anyway, uh, then at the end of 10th grade, my goal was like, I'm going to, like, she's going to be saving me a seat. Like, I'm going to be sitting next to her by the end of 10th grade year. And dude, I, I did it. By the end of 10th, no lie, Sylvia's a junior. I'm a sophomore. Oh, senior. She's still like, 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 man, she's like, like, Whatever. Anyway, um, she's, but I'm walking into the cafeteria by the end of 10th grade and she's calling my name, Sean, like this. And I'm like, ha, 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 yeah, 
I am the freaking man. Uh, so she, and then, and then at the end of my 10th grade year, end of her 11th grade year, uh, she told me that I was one of her best buddies. I think I invented the friend zone. This is like in 86. So like it was before friend zone was invented. I'm, I'm one of the founding members of friend zone. I have a card for it and everything. At the end of my junior year, I was like, all right, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to ask her out. I'm going I'm gonna, to, like, she's a senior now, and she's going into her senior year. Beginning of the senior year, beginning of my junior year, I'm going to ask her out. And, like, by the end of her senior year, uh, she's going to be in love with me. And at the end of my senior year, we're going to get married. Like, that's where this is going. I'm 100% convinced. Uh, but by the end of my junior year, end of her senior year, I'd become, I, I started thinking that, uh, you know, if I, what if she doesn't like me the way that I, I like her, and then I ask her out on a date, and then she's like, oh, I didn't really like you that way, and then like, oh, I'm sorry for leading you on, and then I never even get to sit with her anymore. Like, it was like this real huge conflict in, in my heart. And uh, so I, I, uh, um, I never asked her out. Never did. You guys were supposed to awe on that. But you know, it turned out okay for me. Right? So uh, it, it turned out all right. So I, by the end of my junior year, everybody in the school, I thought it was a secret that I liked her, but everybody in the school kind of knew I was. In fact, my basketball coach, who was also the assistant principal, arranged it uh, at the senior graduation every year. The seniors would come up with a candle and they'd give like a, they'd give like a little, they had like a three minute speech that they could give. And then they would step back and then a junior would walk up on stage with an empty candle. And then they would, you know, light the junior's candle. And then they would, it was like passing on the light of leadership from one class to the next and then my my uh, basketball coach arranged it so that can't that Sylvia would would uh, light my fire <laughs> but she had lit that fire back in eighth grade and had never gone out <laughs> it just sounds creepy when I put it that way right Anyway, so all of that happened. There's a funny story about me being so nervous to get up, and I actually threw up at her graduation, but I didn't want to leave because they were about to do the candle lighting thing. So this is a true statement. I, I, I was sick to my stomach just because of nerves, and we had spaghetti, which you shouldn't do if you've got a big night, um, especially if it doesn't matter. Anyway, I'm sitting there, and I and I swallowed all of that. I was afraid that I would have to leave and not be back in time for my candle to be lit. That's true. So when I went, whoop, sorry, she's about to throw up now too. <laughs> it's like the Red Sea parted. Everybody's legs were like, go, 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 go. And like I, I told you, I wasn't going to tell you. Now I'm telling you. So I get to the end and it all comes back up again. Now they had just remodeled the auditorium that we were doing it in. And it was a church auditorium. So I didn't want to like spew everywhere. So when I got to the aisle, it all came. My body was like, I done told you once. I ain't telling you again. I swallowed it twice. I did. I really did. And then I get to the back and it all comes up one more time. And I, I, I'm sorry, fool me once. <laughs> I was like, I can only throw up puke twice. I can't do it a third time. And then my body said, oh, I got seconds where that came from. And then um, have you ever put your thumb over a water hose? That was the back of the auditorium. My dad met me in the bathroom, felt really bad. He, he uh, took out a cert. I went to grab the cert. That was for him. Do you remember certs? Does anybody remember certs? Anybody remember certs? I don't even think they make those anymore as a breath mint. So he took one out. I reached for that one. He just handed me the pack, and he ate this one. 
That's a true statement. I had like four or five of them, and I made it back in the, like, you know, wiped up my mouth and everything and washed my face so I could feel better. And my dad's got his hand on my mouth. He's like, You okay? I'm like, Yeah, dad, I just don't feel good. And he's like, I'll pray for you. I'm like, Dear God, in the name of Jesus, let me make it back there again. And as soon as I, I went all the way back down to the front, sat down, and as soon as I sat down, my row stood up and I got my candle lit by Sylvia. That's the end of that story right there. Thank you very much. Thank you. Thank you. But because of this undying affection that I had for Sylvia from the time I was in eighth grade on, I never dated any other girls because I was afraid that if I asked another girl out and if Sylvia did like me and then she'd go, oh, Sean's dating another girl. And I'd, like, I didn't know what would happen. So truthfully, I was a late bloomer anyway, but having a crush on a girl that was out of my reach for five years kept me out of the dating game. So I was a, I was a massive flirt. I just had no game to back up my flirt, right? Because I was afraid that Sylvia, like I I was afraid of how this would affect, it wouldn't have affected anything, but I was worried about that. And then the week before my senior year, we moved to Denver. And I remember, I remember it dawned on me in Kansas. We were driving from Florida to Denver. And uh, I, was in, I, I actually remember being at a, ga- at a gas station at a rest stop. I, I, rem- I actually remember when it dawned on me, um, it, was, it was like in daytime. Like I, that's crazy. Like I actually remember where I was at when it dawned on me that nobody in Denver knows Sylvia. Nobody in Denver knows that I've never dated a girl. Nobody in Denver knows I've never kissed anybody. Like, nobody in Denver knows me at all. For all they know, I'm freaking Rico Suave. Like, when I get there, if I just act like Don Juan, they're going to go, homeboys, Don Juan. Like, I remember, like, stepping, like, I was like, when I get to Denver, I'm going to be the guy that dates people. That's what I'm going to do. Right? So I get there. Two weeks into it, I asked Diana Bowling out on our date. On our second, on our second date, I just like went, I just, I just kissed her, is what I did. I was really afraid though, since I'd never kissed a girl, and she had kissed other guys that that if I kissed her, she would be able to tell that it wasn't my first kiss. And then she would go, Oh, you do it wrong. And then everybody would go, He's not Don Juan, he's a moron. That's what I was afraid of. But you just kiss her with confidence, and she has no idea. So I just went in for the kiss. The embarrassing thing is that my sister was there, but that's a part of the story I'm not going to tell you. Anyway, uh, that was the part of the story, and I did tell you. Anyway, she was in, the, whatever, doesn't matter. Anyway, um, so then we, we I was going to say we dated for two months. We didn't. We kissed for two months, and then we broke up. And then there was like two other girls that kind of like went on dates with my senior year, and then I went to college. And uh, so I went to, went to college and then uh, dated a girl named Beth Moore. She dumped me, dated a girl named Jill. Uh, Jill, uh, not Beth Moore, the famous Beth Moore. It was a different Beth Moore. You guys are like, holy crap, you're that old? Oh, wait, she's not that old. Sorry. Anyway, she's not going to listen to this. Um, it was another girl named Beth Moore. Uh, and then a girl named Jill, she dumped me. And then, um, then there was this girl named Jennifer Bourne. And I thought for sure that this was going to be the woman for life. And then she was like, uh, no, you're, you're not the guy for life. And I don't want you to call me anymore. And so that was, that was heartbreaking. Uh, so the, the, the first girl I ever kissed was Diana Bullock. My sophomore year, uh, Diana was a year behind me. So when I was a freshman in college, she's a senior. So when I go into my sophomore year, uh, Diana goes into her freshman year at college. And Diana comes to my college. And I'm like, oh, this is awkward. Like, is she, like, following me? Does she, like, and, and turns out she just wanted a good education. I just thought the whole world revolved around me. <laughs> she ended up dating my, my best friend, my, my roommate. Uh, and then I meet Billie Jane, and she's a sophomore, or she's a freshman, and I see her in the cafeteria. And when I saw Billie Jane, the, the heavens parted. <laughs> and there was a sunbeam with birds and butterflies floating down, and a voice from heaven said, <laughs> 
you will get to make out with her before you die. <laughs> and then I found out who her roommate was. Diana Bolig. <laughs> Is that not horrible? My, my wife. <laughs> Billy Jane's first roommate in college was the first girl I ever kissed. And when I found that out, I was like, I'm not going to get, there's like, like once they start, like once there's a connect, like once, once Diana realized that Billy Jane is interested in me, if I can get her to get interested in me, like Diana is going to just shoot that down. I'm not going to have any chance. Oh, and that, that actually, that, that actually didn't, didn't happen. And it was at the age of 20 or 19, however old I was when I was going into my sophomore year, that I realized that how you date, see, that was, that's the segue. That's the longest introduction to any sermon ever. That how you date impacts the rest of your life. Like there's, there's some of you guys who, because of how complicated your dating life got 20 years ago, if you saw them at South Shore Plaza with their current spouse and their children, you would still hide from them. The ones who are laughing are the ones who would hide. You guys know what I'm talking about. Like, there's people that if you saw them again, you would be nauseous. Like, you, you like, like, so, like, our, our date, like, you didn't even make any vows to them. But the way we date people can set us up for unhealthy future relationships, yes or no? And the more we give ourselves to these people that we are not intended to give ourselves fully to, the more baggage we collect and we take all of that baggage into all of our future relationships. The, the metaphor, the illustration that's in the note to use, but I knew that my story at the beginning would be longer, so I didn't want to use it, was, was Play-Doh. And I was going to get like a, like a red Play-Doh and then like a green Play-Doh. And like the more these two Play-Dohs begin to like combine, right, like the harder it is to actually pull the Play-Dohs apart without leaving part of the red Play-Doh in the green and part of the green but like, there comes a point where you can't separate the Play-Doh anymore. And they can pull out the bulk of the red and the bulk of the green, but you're going to see that the red that you've got and the green that you've got has, has the other color mixed in with it. And then you take that into your next dating relationship. And now you're the green who's mixing with, with, with blue. And then the more you give yourself to that person outside of a, of a committed you know, a relationship based on a vow before God and your family, like the harder it is to untangle yourself from that, that person also. And we've all experienced this kind of thing. So what I'd like to talk about today is, is the way that we date. And I know that uh, like if, if, you're, if you're married, you're, you're, you better not be dating anybody else, right? So I'm talking about that, that pursuit of someone uh, where you learn whether or not you can trust them with your heart uh, and your future, like, that's, that's the kind of dating that we're talking about in, in today's teaching. Uh, the idea of dating and the way, and, and I've got to be honest, I'm a little nervous about the teaching today. Actually, the next three weeks are going to be really uncomfortable for me, uh, just because, uh, I, like, I, we're going to look at biblical principles, but remember, our number one value is that we're biblically centered, not culturally centered, which means that we're going to teach things that aren't culturally appropriate, but are biblically accurate. And I'm okay with that, because on Judgment Day, I'm going to stand before God not TMZ. Are you with me? Culture's always changing. Scripture isn't. And if God said, I told you what my will is for you, why didn't you follow that? I don't think it's going to be a good enough answer to say, because I wouldn't be able to sit at the cool kid table anymore. You know what I mean? Like, so I, I, I think that each one of us have to decide whether or not we're going to trust 
that what God wants for us is the best, and like a good father, he sets out boundaries, not to, not, well, he, he sets out restrictions, like any good father would. A good father would say, don't play in the street. Well, it's not fair. I want to be able to play everywhere. You're, you're saying now that like you're restricting 50% of the neighborhood for me to play in because 50% of our neighborhood is streets. And a dad would say, I don't care. You're not playing in the street. Right? And the dad's not trying to keep you from having fun. The dad's just wanting to make sure that you have healthy fun for the rest of your life is what, is what, God's, is what a good dad would do. And, and I believe that God's got the boundaries that God gives us relationally I think are there for that same reason also. So listen, I'm, I'm not trying to tell you what to do. You get to decide what you do. You just have to decide if what you do is going to be consistent with what God's asked you to do. I think this verse will help you. If you've got your Bible, I want you to go to Isaiah uh, chapter 43. Isaiah 43. And Isaiah 43 verse 7 says, Bring all who claim me as their God, because I have made them for my glory. Who were you made for? Whose glory? I'm going to read that again. Bring all who claim me as their God, and that's not everybody here. And if you're not sure where you stand in your relationship with God, like this is, like I think, the best place for you. I'm, I'm, I'm really glad that you're here. I really am. Um, but for those of us who have made the decision that God, the creator of everything, is going to be our God, and we're going to follow after him with the rest of our life, he says, I want you to remind yourself that you were created on purpose, and the purpose for which you were created is my glory, not your glory, my glory, because it was I who created you. There's another verse that says, what right does the clay pot have to say to the potter on what it will be used for? Because the potter is the one who came up with the idea of the clay pot. So if the potter is the one that made you, then the potter gets to decide what you were made for, yes or no, right? The hammer can't say to the carpenter, I want to be a screwdriver. Because it wasn't, does that make sense? The carpenter gets to decide what to do with the hammer because the hammer belongs to the carpenter. And those of us, the Bible says in 1 Corinthians chapter 6, I think we read this last week or maybe the week before, is that what don't you know that you do not belong to yourselves because you were bought at a very high price. So therefore glorify God with your body and with your spirit because they are his now. Because he gave up his life for us. The call that Jesus said, if anybody wants to be my disciple, they must deny their selfishness, take up their cross of sacrifice, and actually follow me. Now, Jesus isn't asking you to do anything he didn't do first for you. He just asks that if you're going to be in relationship with God through faith in Jesus, that you lay down your life for him the way he laid down his life for you. So he's not asking you to sacrifice anything more than what he sacrificed for you, but it, but it is reciprocal. And that is what it takes to be in a relationship with God. Satan believes that God exists. Satan believes that Jesus died on the cross and rose from the dead, but Satan isn't right with God. Why? He won't repent of his sins and follow after the ways of Jesus, which is what Jesus asks us to do. And then there's, a, there's an if-then blessing that if you do this, then this is what happens. And, and that verse is in John chapter 10, verse 10. Jesus wants us to remember that the thief's purpose is to steal and kill and destroy. We read this verse two weeks ago. We read this verse last week. And Jesus said, but my purpose is to give you what? A rich and what? Rich and satisfying life. So every time we come to the scriptures, we come to it with two biases. The first bias is that I belong to God, not myself. And the second 
bias that I have is that if I do it Jesus's way, it leads to a more rich and more satisfying life. Now, that funny little story I told you about uh, uh, Sylvia and Diana and, and Billy Jane, that, that was evidence to me of this. There's just one small way in which I discovered this, that because I was a late bloomer and because I treated Diana with respect, Diana had actually, like, she pumped me up to Billy Jane. Like, he's, he's, he's a good, like, he's one of the good guys, is what she told Billy Jane, right? That was a way in which I had stayed within the boundaries in my dating life that we're going to look at in the scriptures today. And because of that, I have experienced the way that God has in my marriage today, 30 years late, 30, 31 years late. It will be 31 this summer. But in, in our marriage today, that God continues to give me a rich and satisfying life because I followed the guidelines that God had set for me as a teenager. It set me up. Now, not all of us knew what those guidelines were when we were younger, and you can't be responsible for what you, you don't know, and I, I get all of that and everything. And while none of us, and, and I have made mistakes uh, in, in relationships, plenty of them, and my wife says I share too many of them with you anyway. Um, and, and none of us can undo the mistakes of our past, but what we can, what we can do is commit ourselves not to repeat those, right? Now, the idea of dating and the way that we do it here in America is a relatively, I say relatively, it's a brand new concept in human history. Like the way that we just try out people before we marry them, like this has only been around for like 80 years, 100 years. Like you go back before World War II, they would date for three months and they were married a month later. Like the idea of like trying someone on for all of your 20s and then trying somebody else and then trying somebody else and then trying somebody else, right? Like that's, that is a brand new thing in history. In fact, you go back 120 years and you would court for a month and you were married in the second month. I got grandparents that got married at 16. Anybody else? And like that was late for some of them back in those days, right? They got married. Like as soon as they biologically could have kids, you were apprenticed to somebody and you got married. You go back, actually in some parts of the world even today, they don't do dating because this is like the way that we do dating is brand new in human history. And I don't know if it's really working out very well for us, right? It's not making things less complicated, that's for sure. But in other countries, in fact, we had a family in our church that uh, they, they came here on a work visa, and then their work that sponsored them to come here uh, got bought out, and then they moved to South Carolina. A really sweet couple. Uh, and they're in their late 20s, and they never met each other until the day before they were married. They're from India, and so in India, they still do arranged marriages. In, in Jesus' day, you would say, hey, to your parents, uh, you wouldn't say to your friends, I want to marry that person. You'd go to your parents. You'd say, hey, I'd, 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 like to, I'd like to marry her. And then your parents would go to her parents, and then they would talk about how many chickens and goats were going to be exchanged in this process. Well, for four chickens and a wagon wheel, you can have my daughter. Right? Like, that's, that's the way. It, so it's probably not going to surprise you that there's not a whole lot of Bible verses about dating. It didn't exist. Like, if we went back in time and told them, oh, no, for your 20s, just try on like 20 people. They would have been like, like unbelievably offended that that's actually culturally acceptable. Now, I'm not saying we should go back to that, 
because I like that I got to pick who I got married to. Anybody else feel me on that one? I don't trust my parents. I've seen who my mom said you should date. <laughs> Thank you, Jesus, she didn't pick. Thank you, Jesus. But I'm not even sure that all of us are ready to date. So what I want to do really quick. So by, by the way, so while the Bible doesn't have any Bible verses about dating, it has a whole lot to say about relationships and what it takes to live in healthy relationships with people that you are married to, people that you're not married to. And so what I want to do is I want to look at some of these verses. And I don't think it would be difficult to say, if this is what this says, what does this mean for your dating life? Now, not everybody here is dating. Some of us are married, but we've got kids who are dating <laughs> or kids that we wish were dating. Get out my house. <laughs> right? And, and even if you're like in your, your, your late 20s, let's say that you're, you're married, and, um, you, you, but you've got single friends. And because you did get married, some of you are single. I remember this in, in, my, in my 20s, that I had single friends that would come up and they would ask me for dating advice, thinking that I had. <laughs> I dated like three people and I married the third one. So I don't know if I'm an expert on dating, right? Um, but, uh, but, but that happens. So even if you're not, um, like, like if you, you, are, you're, you are married, I'm, I'm hoping there's something in here that's going to help you when you have friends come up and ask you for your opinion on, on healthy relationship practices, hopefully one of these things will be something that you can share with them. I, I would say, though, that if, if you don't feel validated as a person, unless there's another person who romantically validates you, that you probably shouldn't be in a dating relationship. We talked about that last week, Joseph. And Joseph, after the sermon, when he found out what I was talking about today, he goes, oh, I think I might have stepped on your sermon next week. I'm like, yeah, you, you stepped on it a little bit. But I'm just going to keep saying, well, Joseph said, Joseph said, so they can't get mad at you, they'll hate you, right? Or mad, mad at me. Uh, but uh, one of the things that Joseph said is in the, in the waiting, right? Like, you need, you need to recognize, like, you don't need anybody else to complete who you are. God made you complete, like, like, and you need to be okay with who God made you to be. And your validation doesn't come with whether or not somebody else finds you worthy of romance. Your validation comes from the fact that you were created in the image of God and he loved you enough to die for you. That's where my value comes from. I'm valuable as a person, whether I'm married or not. Because married or not, it doesn't change who I actually am in the eyes of God. I'm still his kid. He absolutely, you don't love your married kids more than your single kids. And your single, I've got two married kids and a single kid, right? And I don't love any of them more or less, truthfully, right? Like I, I love Ryan, the single one, no less than Garrett or Lauren at all. And you've heard, the, if you've been here for a while, you know, I absolutely adore, like their relationship, like it would kill me if Ryan felt he was less valuable because he didn't get married at the same age that Garrett or Lauren got married. But there's that pressure, right? Like if you're 30 and all your friends from high school are married and you're not married, there's, there's, there's pressure in that. I love the language that Joseph gave us last week. And he said, remember this? And he said, if you're not married, it's because you haven't what? Do you remember what he said? Okay, we got a whole new audience this week than we did last week. He said, if you're not married, it's because you haven't settled. Because I guarantee you, everybody in here could get married by the end of the week if you lowered all of your standards. Tinder, we could hook you up with somebody. 
I just mentioned that in church. I'd probably need to repent of that right there. I don't know, I could ask, do you swipe left or swipe right? And everybody who swipes whichever way you're supposed to, <laughs> we'd go, hey, you're on Tinder, ain't you? But I didn't ask that question. I didn't want, doesn't matter. Anyway, if you lowered your standards, you could find somebody, right? Um, so it's like, it, it's okay. Like you're in a good spot and you need to focus on being okay with the person that God created you to be. And, and to maybe start working on becoming the person the kind of person you'd want to be with would be looking for. That, that'd, be a, that'd be a great thing. So if you need to be in a dating relationship in order to feel validated as a person, I, I don't think that you're in a healthy place. To Here's the thing, because you're looking for your worth to come from that person instead of from God. Which leads me to the second thing that would, say, that would lead me to say that you're probably not, if you can't be okay, that this has nothing to do with validation, if you just can't be okay not in a dating relationship, you probably shouldn't be in a dating relationship. You ever met somebody who like, like they break up and like a month later, they're already in like another relationship and you're like, holy cow, like, I, like you should probably like chill for a minute. You have any friends that just go from relationship to relationship like too quick? And you're like, I think like you ought to like take a break from dating for a little bit. And like you might've even given, you, given them that advice and they're like, oh, well, I'm fine. And you're like, no, you're in denial. That's what you are, right? Like if you can't be okay unless you're dating, or unless you're in a relationship, I would say that you probably shouldn't be in a relationship right now. And I, I think to want to be in a relationship, I think that's a God-given desire. I don't think there's anything okay, wrong with that. So I'm not saying that it's bad to want to be in a relationship. I'm just saying that if you can't be okay unless you're in one, then there's a codependency part of who you are that's going to motivate you to compromise in order to keep them with you even if you know you shouldn't be with them anymore. And I think that's the danger in that. Romance is a great gift in your life, but it's a horrible purpose for your life. Um, and the third thing is, if, you're, if, if, you're, if, if your motivation for dating is because you're bored, uh, you probably shouldn't be dating right now. Just to, like, go, go to Dave & Buster's. Don't, don't ruin some other girl's life. Because if you're dating to relieve yourself of boredom, what ends up happening is your relationship becomes transactional. And as long as they bring you pleasure and entertain you, you'll stay with them. But when they no longer provide goods and services, you get rid of them like an empty McDonald's cup because the soda's gone. And some of us have been in a relationship that ended after they had drained us of everything we had to give. And it was never about getting to know us or giving of themselves to us or discovering whether or not we could be in oneness and, and unity for the rest of our lives together. It was really about them just being bored and wanting to have fun on a Friday night and you, I was going to say booty call, but I filtered that out. And I'm glad I didn't say that. <laughs> so here's four questions to ask. I need to go through these quickly. Four questions to ask when it comes to dating. Number one is, when should I date? When should I date? Uh, I, think, I think Joseph, again, talked about this a little bit, but I, but I want to say this. You should date when you're healthy enough not to have to date, right? You should date uh, when, when you're healthy. One of the things that he said, this is the first takeaway, was uh, in the singleness, deal with your unresolved past. Because um, 
all of, all of us need a chance to heal from our hurts. Uh, otherwise, if, if there's not a scab over our heart, the part that got bruised or hurt, then we enter that new relationship bleeding all over them, all over them also, right? Um, I, I would say this, and this, I actually did say this to my daughter uh, when my daughter was a freshman. Uh, she's, she's a cute girl. And um, uh, so the funny thing is like when, when freshman girls go, all the juniors and senior guys who haven't found a girl yet just latch on to all the freshman dorms. They just hang out around their freshman dorms. And that was happening. And there was this junior moron who started being really nice to her. And uh, probably a nice guy, but he's a moron. I don't like him. I don't like him at all. And he asked her to go steady with him two weeks before the end of the school year because, in my opinion, he was just trying to lock her down for the summer, right? And I, that's when I was like, I'd, so I, so I found out where he lived, and I'm just kidding. I didn't do that. Be, uh, you should date when you're mature enough to walk away from a dating relationship that isn't taking you closer to the person God called you to be. If you can't walk away from a rela- if you're not mature enough or healthy enough to walk away from an unhealthy relationship, you shouldn't be in one. If you can't walk away from a toxic person that you are dating, you should not be dating. Are you with me? Or if the person you're dating is pulling you farther away from your Holy Spirit-driven center, You need to be able to walk away from that relationship. And if you're not mature enough or healthy enough to know up front that you could do that, then you shouldn't enter into that relationship. I did tell her that. Uh, Second question. So that's when, oh, by the way, and if you're a teenager, when when should you date? When your mom and dad say you're ready. That is not an answer that you want to hear. But nobody in the world knows you more than your mom and dad. And the truth is, their advice to you on dating really comes from their desire to make sure that you don't walk into your future marriage with the kind of results that they brought into theirs or the kind of hurt, regrets is what I meant to say, that they brought into theirs. So trust them. Um, and all the parents said? Amen. Right. <laughs> and all the kids said, I'm out of here. I freaking hate this church. Number two, who should I date? I think this is a very important question. You're going to marry someone you date, right? Yes? Are you going to marry somebody that you dated first? Unless you ordered them out of a mail order catalog from Russia, but I don't think that business is around anymore. That's called trafficking. That was probably, not probably, that was always bad, right? Okay, anyway. You're going to marry somebody that you date, yes? Are you going to date them before you marry them, yes or no? All right. So if you're going to marry somebody you date, then only date someone you would. That's freaking genius, and I don't see nobody writing that down. If you're going to marry somebody you date, then only date somebody you would marry. Now, I'm not saying in ninth grade, when you start dating somebody, you're thinking about marriage. I'm just saying that in ninth grade, You can already tell this isn't the person that you would ever want to someday be married to. Then it's not anybody right now you should be dating. Right? Like we know for a fact, I would never marry somebody who didn't share my my faith. Then should you ever date someone who doesn't share your faith? Do you get what I'm saying? Because if you start dating them in order to change them, 
One, that's not fair to them at all, right? And it's not them you want. It's the ideal version of them that doesn't exist. Like you're setting yourself up for heartbreak, right? So if you're going to marry someone you date, only date someone you had married. The way I told this to my daughter was, date smart or you're going to marry stupid. There's a pun in there. You got to think about it for a second. 2 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 14 says, don't team up with those who are unbelievers. How can righteousness be a par- partner with wickedness and how can light live with darkness? Some of us are, uh, the old-fashioned Christian word for this is unequally yoked. Anybody remember, anybody ever been to church when you were a little kid and you heard a preacher talk about that being unequally yoked? And, and all it means is that you're, you're in a relationship with someone who doesn't share your faith. I really do believe that if you're Muslim, you'll have a happier life if you marry Muslim. If you're an atheist, I think you'll have a happier marriage if you marry an atheist. I I really believe that. Like, that makes sense, right? Like, if you're a hardcore Democrat, don't marry a hardcore Republican. If you're a hardcore Republican, don't marry a hardcore Democrat, which would affect who you would date also. Like, you already know, and nobody should ever date a Yankees fan, ever. There's no reason for this. The quote I got last week in the teaching was this. Don't date a Christian if you don't want to become a Christian. If you're not a Christian, you're dating a Christian. Remember what he said? You need to know they have an agenda for you. The proof? You're in church on a Sunday morning. They are trying to change you. Right? Now, truthfully, I think you becoming a devoted follower of the one who created you and discovering the purpose for which you actually exist would be the best thing in the world to ever happen to you. So I, I think it, they genuinely do care about you, and this is something that they hope for you 100%. It's something that we, I hope for you also. But there's only three ways that this relationship is going to end. You're going to break up. You're going to become a Christian or they're going to become less passionate about their faith in order to be more compatible with you. And I don't think you want that for them either. There's another advantage to dating a follower of Jesus. If you're dating a follower of Jesus, you're dating someone who is holding themselves accountable for their behavior toward you with a higher higher power than you. That's, That's awesome. When I'm, when I'm dating somebody who is as concerned about following God and doing right as I am, then I don't have to manipulate them to do the right thing. She doesn't have to manipulate me to do the right thing. Like, I know that I'm accountable to God for how I treat her. That's an advantage to who? To her. There's an advantage to me when the person that I'm dating is also passionate about doing right before God. What that does is I know that God's Holy Spirit is at work in her just like he's at work in me so that when our relationship gets out of bounds, it's not just that I feel guilty that I've taken something from her that didn't belong to me, it belonged to her future husband. It's that I've also transgressed my own conscience before God who's called me to be holy because he is holy because he wants to give me a rich and satisfying life because that's the end result of bringing him more glory than me chasing my own. I'm intrinsically motivated to serve her. 
Like that's a huge advantage in dating. Um, Amos chapter 3, verse 3 says, can two people walk together without agreeing on the direction? So you should date somebody who is in agreement with you on those three or four core values that will never change no matter what. Right? Like I'd, I, I, I thought for sure I would marry a brunette. I really didn't. I'm glad I didn't put that on the list. Now after our third child, her chemistry changed and she went brunette. But she went to Target and bought stuff to stay a blonde. <laughs> I'm just saying, don't put that on your top three. But whatever your top three are, right? Like make sure that whoever you date shares those top three. If you want a guy who's going to honor you as his wife, look at the way he treats his mom, right? You've heard that before. And a girl in her relationship with her dad or her, the male role model in her life, maybe an uncle or a grandpa. Uh, third question is, how should I date? What are the biblical principles that guide the way that we treat anyone that we aren't married to? You're going to find more freedom than what you expected me to say, but not as much freedom as what your friends are taking. If you're a follower of Jesus, you can obey the Bible or not, but every one of us have to decide. And in every relationship, even once I'm married, my relationship with Billy Jane will get sideways, and I have to decide, am I going to keep pushing for me to get my way, my glory, or am I going to stop and consider whether or not the way I'm treating her, the way I'm responding to her, brings God most glory? And that intrinsic motivation to hold myself accountable, not to get my way, but to make sure that I'm living my life God's way, is what often is the thing that straightens me out so that we can get straightened out also. And I do that because I recognize that my life finds its greatest value when I'm living in line with God's direction for me, because I do trust that if I do it God's way, and I have experienced, and you know other, you probably, hope if you don't, you will meet them here, older, more experienced, godly people who've been in very healthy relationships for a long time, and they'll share this uh, with you also, but that when you do it God's way, it does re lead to a more rich and satisfying life. But First Timothy chapter 5, verse 1 and 2 says this, Never speak harshly to an older man, but appeal to him respectfully as you would to your own father. Talk to younger men as you would to your own brother. Now, the Apostle Paul is single, but he was part of the Sanhedrin, which he had to be married for. So most historians think that he was, he's probably a, 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 was a young widower, is what he would have been, most likely. We don't know that. He doesn't talk about ever having a wife. We know that he was single, and then he says, I wish everybody had the luxury of being single like I am, because half of your life isn't divided around another person. You can spend 100% of your time doing whatever it is God put in your heart and running full speed. But when you're married, you have other obligations now and other responsibilities that slow you down in your pursuit of, of ministry was Paul's perspective. And so he said to Timothy, who was also a single man, who he had just said at the beginning of Timothy, I want you to go back to all the different towns where we started churches, and I want you to establish leadership in those churches so that we can make sure that people are taken care of and no one slips through the cracks. So he's got this young man who's single who's going to be going back through all of these towns by himself. So at the end of the letter, Paul says, now listen, I need to give you some encouragement. When you go into a, a, a town or a church and you see older men, I want you to treat them with the kind of respect any dad should expect to receive. I'm not saying he's your dad. You don't have to treat him like your dad, but give him the kind of respect somebody should give a dad. 
right? Like you're just being deferential uh, to, to, to those who are older than you. And I think that's, I think that's good advice. I taught my kids that way. My, my dad taught me that way. I hope my kids teach their kids to respect those who are older than them and, and to not, not be fresh with, with older adults. And so that's essentially what he's saying. And then other guys your own age, treat them the way you would treat a brother. Verse 2 says, treat the older women as you would your mother. And treat the younger women, you would expect them to say as you would your own sister. But he adds three words right in the middle of that sentence. He says, and, you're, and treat the younger women, what three words does he add? With all purity. He didn't say that when he said, and with the guys, treat them with all purity as you would a brother. He just said, and with the guys your own age, treat them as you would your brother. The girls your own age, with all purity, treat like you would a sister. Nah, I mean. You feel me? What's he saying? Wink, wink. You know what I'm talking about. All right, Timothy? You know what I'm talking about? So I said this with my kids. So, because the, the question came up when each one of our kids, how far is too far? And uh, I said, would you, each one of my kids, I said, could you, uh, like Garrett, could you hold Lauren's hand? No. Could you hold Lauren's hand? Yes. Would you? No, he's not going to hold his sister's hand. That's gross. But he could hold his sister's hand, right? Like if an if a older brother was holding his younger sister's hand, nobody thinks that's weird. If he kisses his sister, right? Hadn't seen her in a while. Or like when they're little kids even, they, you know, they kiss on the, on the mouth. Or, you know, he's seven, she's four. Or, you know, he's five and she's two. It's, it's, it's adorable. I say, could you kiss your sister on the lips? So I'd never do that. It's so gross, right? But could you? Like, can it not be considered like, like bad? And it, well, well, yeah. Okay. Could you make out with your sister in the basement while watching Netflix? In outside of Arkansas. Could you do that outside of Arkansas? I'm sorry, was that inappropriate? I was gonna say northern Maine, but I thought some of you might be here. <laughs> you see what I'm saying though? He says anything beyond what you could do with your sister is out of bounds for now. That is what he said. And I'm telling you from experience, this is the one area where this, it's, it's um, I, I, I hesitate to say this. By God's grace, this is the one area of my life that, that, I, that I, have, I don't have a ton of regret in. But the advantage, and I'm telling you, especially if you're a teenager and you haven't made a lot of like, mistakes relationally yet, I'm telling you, there's a huge advantage to not being afraid of running into anybody you've ever dated with your wife or your daughter. Like there's a huge advantage to that. I'm just saying God's way does work out better. So when God says, yeah, you could, you could, there's things you can do. You can hold their hand. You can like date, date, dating is, is fun, but it's, it's, it's like, it's like fire. It belongs in a fireplace. You don't want the fire in your curtains. Like, right? Like, like it's good within, it's great within, within healthy boundaries, but be careful that your Play-Doh doesn't get too mixed with somebody else's Play-Doh because you never get all of your Play-Doh back. Does that make sense? Is that a good metaphor? So let's say that you've got Play-Doh that's got all kinds of colors in it. Okay. It is what it is. But don't make it more complicated by adding more Play-Doh. 
right? So wherever it is from now, like we can't change our past. What you can do is say, God, because I do exist for your glory and because I do believe that following after your ways will lead to a more rich and satisfying life. From this day forward, I will seek to live in more healthy relationships. I'll handle my singleness and purity, right? And the, uh, um, and why should you date? Last question. If the biblical plan for sexuality is marriage, and it is, then dating is the evaluation stage. Once you realize this is not the person you should be in a forever relationship with is, for their sake and yours, it's better to part ways now than to drag this out and make it harder. But biblically speaking, the goal of dating ultimately should be marriage. So if you have no desire to ever be married, ever, and you're a follower of Jesus, I don't know that dating makes a lot of sense. As I mentioned earlier, God's plan for you is holiness. Why? Because holiness brings God most glory and is the path to you living a more rich and satisfying life. And each one of us, in our marriage or our singleness, have to decide, like Eve, whether or not God can be trusted to be telling the truth. So if you're in an unbiblical dating relationship, I'm not asking you to go home right now and break off. I don't want you to hurt the other person. Like, I don't run in and torch the whole place, right? Scorched earth. That's not what I'm saying. If you're in, a, if you're in a, an unhealthy dating relationship right now, my encouragement for you is to find a Christian mentor who has a healthy relationship and seek their advice on how this dating relationship could become more healthy if it can. That's my advice. Talk to a mentor. Bring somebody else in on this. You're going to keep repeating the mistakes of the past if you don't find somebody who can tell you where the landmines are so you don't step on them. So find a godly mentor. If you're a guy, a godly older man. If you're a girl, a godly older woman. And bring them into the idea, the situation that you're in. And then ask, what, 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 what do you think my next step could be? And then pray about it. I think that if it's what God wants you to do, that God's Holy Spirit will, conf- like when they're saying it, it's going to make, you're going to go, oh my gosh, that's perfect sense. I don't even know how I didn't think about that. Right? Well, sometimes we can be so far into it that we can't get a good picture of it. And having somebody else get eyes on this is going to be the thing that helps us to see what we ought to do next. Uh, And ask them what your next step should be and then how to proceed. If you're in this service right now with the person that you're in an unhealthy dating relationship with or somebody and you guys have, you're coloring all out of the lines and your Play-Dohs are way mixed up and they're in this service with you, I think this would be a great opportunity for you guys to go to lunch afterwards. And then you would just start with the question, what do you think about the talk today? And just start a conversation about boundaries. Like, if you can't talk to your significant other about appropriate boundaries, like if there's things you, if you can't talk about hard stuff with this person, they're probably not the right person. Because a healthy relationship would be more transparent. Yes or no? You've got to be able to have hard conversations about this. And maybe redraw biblical boundaries. Find an accountability partner to help you stay on the path. And the last thing I want to leave you with is this. Pray for your future spouse. It might be the person you're dating. It might not. As a parent, I still do this for Ryan. 
Ryan's not married. So as often as, uh, not quite as often, I'd say it's about 50% as often, so it wasn't even close. Of all the times I pray for Ryan, which is almost every single day, about half of those times I also pray for his future wife. I've been doing that since he was a baby. Actually, all three of our kids. I'm gonna give you a dad hack if you got small kids. Every night when, you go to, when they go to bed, walk into their bedroom, put your hand on their shoulder, and pray over them out loud, and don't ever stop. The advantage of that is that you got an 18-year-old who comes into the living room when he's going to bed and daps you up and waits for you to pray over him before he goes to bed. Do you know how cool it is to have an 18-year-old boy do that? It's a, if, you, if, you don't, if, you don't, if you try to start that at 15, it's awkward. Right? Hey, son, come here, dap me up, let me pray over you. No, get out of my face. That's a weird thing. But if it's something that's always done, and you know what, and if, and if they're already older, that's fine. But you start praying for their future spouse now because whoever your kids marry is going to affect you. Yes or no? Definitely going to affect your grandkids. Yes or no? Pray for them as often, like even if you don't know them. So I remember when Lauren was like three, I was figuring that probably her husband is already alive somewhere on the planet. So I would pray, dear God, wherever her future husband is right now, I pray that you would keep him safe, keep him pure, and help him to become a devoted follower of Jesus. And help him to serve my daughter well. Help him to set a great example. Help him to help her to raise my grandkids to follow Jesus for the rest of their lives. Pray that. Bring God into this. Because God, like this is part of God's plan, is, is maybe, for, for them. So, so talk to him about it. Let's pray now. God, thank you for everybody who's here and all of our relationships, the ones that are complicated and the ones that are healthy. There's not a single person we've ever looked locked eyes with that you didn't unconditionally love with all of your heart. So everybody that we are or have been in relationships with are people who are the object of your affection and you want as much good for them as you want for us. Help them, God, to, if they're not already, to find and follow you and to trust that you give them a rich and satisfying life and, and God help us to take advantage of the opportunity to do that now. So if you're if you're, if, you're, if you're single right now, maybe you could pray for your future spouse real quick. God, I'm not sure who I'm going to marry someday, but you already see, the, you know who I'm going to marry. So wherever that person is in the world right now, bless them. Draw them to faith in your son, Jesus, and help them to begin following you now. Bring us together in the right timing. Help us to treat each other with respect. Help our relationship to be a good example of what it looks like for you to be in relationship with your bride, the church. That's what this is for. God, help me right now, my singleness, to become a healthy person. The kind of person the person I'm looking for would be looking for. Maybe you can pray for your kids. God, I pray for each one of my kids to become that godly. I pray that they would trust that your way leads to a more rich and satisfying life. And I pray for their future spouse. If you're in a dating relationship and your heart is fully committed to a relationship that is fully unhealthy, then your prayer would be, God, give me next steps that would be appropriate. Help me to lead this relationship to a healthier place. And if or when I can't, let me know so that I know when to back out. Help me to find an older godly person that I can seek counsel from. Help me find that person and bless my life. Let my life be a blessing to those who know me best. Can you make that your prayer? 
We ask this in Jesus' name. And we all say together,